0: Hello, Center Church. I wanted to spend just a few minutes with you today, breaking out of our typical podcast, weekly podcast routine to um, celebrate with you um, and glorify with you Christ in the incarnation um, in what is one of the most important one of the most important markers in our year where we recognize the birth of Jesus. To do that, I will be singing several hymns a cappella, of course. That's only available to podcast subscribers. For the rest of you, I would like to offer three benedictions that I hope will be a source of peace and comfort and encouragement this holiday season. These blessings will be accompanied by readings from several relevant texts, which I'll mention as we go. Uh, the The first benediction... Uh, is this. May the incarnation of Christ reveal to you a God of power and truth, a God of joy and mercy. May the incarnation of Christ reveal to you a God of power and truth and a joy and mercy. Throughout both the Old and New Testament, we're given a picture of God um, as uh, as a being who is all powerful, who is all present, and this is as we've discussed many times over the years, I, th- I think very misunderstood in the church. Um, the idea of a God who is all powerful is often reduced to to the the person in the room who is the strongest. So, among other powerful beings. God has the most power. Among other knowing beings, human or other, God has the most knowledge or all of the knowledge. In reality, God's omnipotence, God's transcendence, God's omnibenevolence is all, but it is also other. Here are two readings um, as you meditate on this this first benediction. The first is from Isaiah, a very famous passage, of course, um, often associated with the Incarnation, rightly so. A beautiful text. Here's Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. of power, this is a picture of truth. And we have to hold this along with the incarnation, a picture of God as infant, a picture of God in total weakness and dependence. I've quoted Rakow before from her uh, fictional collection of, of I mean, there are chapters where she retells, reimagines, really, many of the biblical stories while trying to hold on to their literary sense as well as their as their essence. Uh, from This Is Why I Came, here's rachel in a chapter she titles Mary, Loving Kindness. When she held Jesus on her knee and he reached his arm around her neck, Mary felt flooded with melancholy. She could not account for a profound foreknowledge of sorrow for which she had no empirical evidence. She saw that what she'd given her son by giving him her body was suffering, and she grieved not only for herself, her son and husband, but for all of creation, the cat outside, the cucumbers sliced in the bowl, the great fish in the sea, vulture and crow, for every person, for lovers, for every child born and yet to come, grieved for the entire world in all its soiled history and crippled future because suffering was an inalienable element of the world's order and because it was incurable. From that day on, she resolved to pray hourly for all of creation, the reptiles and insects, the flowers and birds, for those she loved and for those she did not love. In time, a startling vision came to her that was unlike anything she'd ever seen with her eyes, two hands very near each other, hers and her son's, and she could not reach him. The vision came often, so she began to pray for those who would hurt her son and for the enemies of truth, Eventually, she was able to pray that her son's enemies, sure that he would have them, would also be preserved and be shown mercy. She prepared herself, and she would also prepare him. What is the price of salvation? She asked Jesus as he grew, until one day he answered, death. And she said, yes, what is the omnipotence of God? What is a God that is transcendent, omnipresent, all-knowing, and a God that is omnibenevolent, one that is all-loving? It's a God that we can rely on. It's, it, it's certainly a God pictured in Isaiah 9. One who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. A God who promises that eventually the increase of peace will know no end. The increase of justice and righteousness will know no end. But however God chooses to accomplish these things, he does it through, first through the Incarnation and through an infant born to Mary, and our prayers must reflect that kind of power and that kind of love and that kind of abiding presence. May the incarnation of God reveal to you a God of power and truth, a Christ of joy and mercy. Benediction 2, may God's unification with human beings be the sustaining center of your life. May God's unification with human beings be the sustaining center of your life. I want to begin by quoting hymn 34 from Divine Eros, the hymns of St. Simeon. And um, again, thanks to Jason for recommending this text. I don't think I would have ever come across it um, without the recommendation. It's uh, very um, misleading because one imagines uh, maybe lighter reading when one hears hymns, at least I did. And it is um, incredibly deep, incredibly dense, and and hundreds and hundreds of pages. I recommend the book highly. Uh, If you Uh, These are tremendous meditations. Hymn 34, I won't read all of this hymn. uh, It's quite long, but uh, beginning at line 50. For to say that God is united to human beings and that he does not give a share of his divine incorruptibility to them, but rather he pulls himself down by their mortality, by saying that, one declares the destruction of the indestructible. And they blaspheme and they utterly fall out of life. So a happy start to where I I chose to, to begin the reading. But if this is impossible, then it is better to accept the alternative and hasten to participate in incorruption before your death. Again, to say that line again, to hasten to participate in incorruption before your death god is the light but we are in darkness or to say more truly we ourselves are the darkness and these are hard statements but we know both of these at times to be true and that we will we will miss so much of the power and joy of the incarnation if we don't accept both of them god streams in in light, in the in, through the incarnation into darkness, and we ourselves so often feel and are in darkness. It's not helpful to pretend otherwise. But those of you who are, who reflect on the human condition, and on our nature, know that also at times we ourselves of the darkness we see in ourselves things that we want rightly we want to see eradicated and we want to be whole reading on for god will not shine elsewhere do not be led astray if he does not shine in souls alone to whom he has been united before their death jumping forward a slight bit to line 66 both here and hereafter God alone is the light of souls. But we are darkness having souls unenlightened. And so if the light of souls is united to my soul, then either that light will be extinguished and become darkness, or my soul, having been illuminated, will be like the light. For when the light has been kindled, immediately the darkness flees. And that indeed is the work of perceptible light. But if the created light does these things for you by its energy and enlightens your eyes and gladdens your soul, and it grants you to see what you did not see before, then when the creator of light shines in your soul, what will he not do? He who said, let there be light, and immediately there was light. And so what do you think? If he will shine rationally in the heart, or in the mind like lightning, or like a big sun, what will he be able to produce within an enlightened soul? Will he not illuminate her and make himself known in clear knowledge who he is? Yes, truly so it happens. Thus it is accomplished. Thus is the gift of the revealed spirit. Don't move too quickly past the joy, the edification that comes from the fundamental truths present in the gospel, which is that God joins himself to humanity and that either one of two things can happen. Either the light of God is extinguished and everything is darkness. I I don't think that is the case. Or your soul, who you are, is illuminated, and you are like the light. You have the Spirit of God in you, as close to you as your very breath. This, this is part and parcel. This, this is an implication of the incarnation, and it's something that should be celebrated, and it's something that if you lose sight of in a, in a, in. The chaotic darkness of the world, if you lose sight of that, um, we, we really find ourselves at a loss. It, um, it, it's, it is a dark day for the soul when you when you let go of, of what is true about you, which is that you have been illuminated, and therefore you are like the light. Uh, Tim Keller says this in his book, Hidden Christmas, why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or whirlwind. Because this time, he has not come to bring judgment, but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the darkness, in other words, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so we can be together. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with us. No barrier between humanity and God. This is a beautiful truth that is, that is found in the incarnation, that the light of God illuminates you and through you others, that there is no barrier between humanity and God. Jesus is God with us. May God's unification with human beings be the sustaining center of your life. And a final benediction to celebrate this Christmas season with you. May you experience the intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation to God in flesh. May you experience the intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation to God in flesh. Uh, I want to start with a quote from Cyril of Alexandria, potential baby name. Here it is. As I have said, the son came, or rather was made man, in order to reconstitute our condition within himself. The brilliance of that line alone, to reconstitute our condition within himself, first of all, in his own holy, wonderful, and truly amazing birth and life. This was why he himself became the first one to be born of the Holy Spirit. I mean, of course, after the flesh, so that he could trace a path for grace to come to us. As essential as Jesus' death on the cross is, I think some within the wide stream of Christianity Sometimes lose, uh, miss out on on the joy of, of of experiencing Christ in life because while they rightly focus on the cross, they they at once disregard the life of Christ, the birth and life of Christ, which we're supposed to model ourselves a- after. This is why he himself became the first one to be born of the Holy Spirit. I mean, of course, after the flesh, so that he could trace a path for grace to come to us. Think about that. This is the birth and life of Christ. He wanted us to have this intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation to himself, who is the true and natural son so that we too might be able to call God our Father and so remain free of corruption as no longer owning to our first father, that is Adam, in whom we were corrupted. In the incarnation and the life of Jesus, we, by the grace of God, are given a path to not only trust in the eternal salvation Uh, Of our souls and and those who have been a part of center know know exactly what I mean by that of of our, like, we, we, we can not only trust that we'll inhabit the kingdom of God, but also we are given intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation. Which is to say, I mean, this is at once incredibly mystical and really can't be known. But but I don't want us to lose the value of the practical nature of this, which is that we can have, we can be oriented, and we can have an ordered mind, and an ordered spirit, so that we don't suffer unnecessarily, and that and so that the suffering that we have, we know is for Christ. We're going to have suffering because we are. Um, Um, in darkness. We're in a world that is, that is, that is um, a now not yet world, right? The kingdom is, is here, but not, not fully here. And and so we're going to have suffering regardless, but we can enjoy intellectual regeneration. We can have minds that reflect the heart, love, the nature of Christ himself, because Christ, because God incarnates it becomes human and lives out the life of a human. We are also given a life to live, as um, as Christ did. He's the first among brothers, the first among many. And I, I just I think that's um, part of the reason we should celebrate the Christmas season. It is a time to remember that we can. We can communicate the light of Christ and we can enjoy intellectual wholeness, right-headed thinking that is like Jesus. And we can enjoy spiritual assimilation so that you can trust your heart and mind because you know that your heart and mind reflects the goodness of Christ and in the same way the infant Jesus relied on and trusted in his mother, we can also rely on and trust in the goodness of God the Father because we know that he is working out everything according to his will and purpose. And we know that his will and purpose includes our wholeness. May you experience the intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation to God in flesh. This is part of the promise of the Incarnation. We'll close with a passage I know I've read to you before. It's Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. Sometimes the brilliance of the passage, the import of it is lost in debates and other ancillary debates that surround it. If you can... Managed to push those to the side uh, and focus on the meaning of the text um, at its core. And we know that for those loving God, He cooperates in all ways for good with those called toward a purpose, because those He knew in advance, He then marked out in advance as being in conformity to the image of His Son, so that He might be firstborn among many brothers. Much could be said about those lines, not least of which it's not as if it's not as if God is tricked into loving you. Rather, you are through Christ made whole. How you were always meant to be, people—a people who glorify God—and in, in in this incredible, uh, in these incredibly diverse ways. And those he marked out in advance. These he then called, those he called, these he then proved righteous, and those he proved righteous, these he then glorified. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? God is for us in his condescension into flesh, into humanity. How How much louder could God be in his message to us? That he adores us and loves us. That he came into humanity as an infant. He who did not even spare his own son, but rather delivered him over on behalf of all of us, how shall he not grace us with all things along with him? Who will make an accusation against God's chosen ones? God is the one who vindicates. Who is the one who condemns? The darkness that some of you face um, is, is external in nature. The, the challenges that you face um, come from your, your professional life. They come from some feature of your personal life. They cover. They, they come from some circumstance. Um, they come. They come by dint of upbringing or birth or background. Some of the challenges. Some of the some of the condemnations that some of you face, however, um, are entirely internal. God is the one who vindicates. Who is the one who condemns? This is to say that not even you are in a position to stand in condemnation of yourself not even you are in a position to stand in condemnation of yourself rather through joy through repentance through the spiritual disciplines meditate on the goodness of god and enjoy increasingly all the time sharing in god's likeness May you experience the intellectual regeneration and spiritual assimilation to God in flesh. Center blessings. We'll talk again in the new year.